What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am joined today by my younger brother, Dylan Tucker. Dylan, how are you today? Doing all right. Doing all right. Are you sore? We were talking about soreness yesterday, so I'm curious if you're still sore. No, I'm not so sore yet. I'll be sore tomorrow. Tell my 10 listeners how many 5Ks you've been running per week to try to get in shape. Uh, three to four. <laughs> Trying, I, I have this idea that if I could run a 5K every day, I, I'd be in pretty good shape. Well, I mean, you would be, but that that's an unnecessary amount. And what was happening? Uh, about the next, <laughs> inevitably the next day, my legs would be so stiff that I could barely walk. <laughs> I was telling Chelsea about that, and she was like, "Dang, Dylan! You know, no way only Chelsea can." Mm-hmm. But. Um, that was a terrible Chelsea. It was a terrible... Well, I'm not good at impersonating her. But, um, you also recently introduced me to the idea of a breakfast beer, which I had literally never heard of in my entire life. And I told Chelsea about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's like a thing that a lot of people do. And I was like, I've, I've never heard of this. So what is, what's a breakfast beer? We're starting off strong. I want to know. <laughs> so, I mean, beer goes way back to like ancient Egyptian times, but in... It's European history. It was often um, the first meal of the day because um, it had so many calories. Um, it was a f- way to get make sure that the water was safe. Um, that's how Guinness actually started. It was definitely a breakfast beer. And there's nothing like starting the day with a little buzz, right? Or totally. was the alcohol like, was it significantly less than what beer is today? I'm sure, I'm sure it was or it might have been even stronger. I'm not sure, but... So the reason that I had a breakfast beer the other day is it was Saturday, which was the start of the Six Nations Tournament Championship. Which is? It's an annual rugby championship Mm. sponsored by Guinness um, between the Six Nations, Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, France, and Italy. Mm. It's been going on for a long time. Um, Yeah, and the, the opening match was Ireland versus Wales, and... For them, it was at night, and for us, it was at seven fifteen in the morning. So <laughs> you can't watch. I can't watch rugby and not drink a beer. It's just not. Hey, and you've played rugby. How long have you played rugby now? Um, three seasons. Has it only been three? I feel like you've been playing longer than that. Um. Well, remember, I moved to Missouri. Oh and, yeah. And okay. Took a little break. I, okay, that's true. I was like, I feel like you've been playing for like six years. But so yeah, you did live in Missouri for a little six bit. Six years total. Yeah. yeah. Tougher than me. I don't, I mean, I could, I don't know if I could play rugby. It looks fun, but I don't know. I don't know if I could play. Um, interesting. So our doctor actually for Noah actually recommends like if Chelsea, like, cause she's breastfeeding, if her um, milk supply is low to drink a beer, cause there's something about the yeast in beer that actually like stimulates milk production. And so the other night, Chelsea had a beer uh, before going to bed. We had a Sam Adams, and um, it worked. We were like, "Wow, I guess we might have to now. We might have to start having breakfast beers in the day <laughs> just to make sure it works." But um, okay, so you're my younger brother, and probably the better of the three. I don't know. You were calling. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? A little bit of your life story. What'd you learn from your genius older brother or, or 
other way of describing me. <laughs> so, yeah, I just turned 26. Um, yeah. That's wow. My life tell, tell us, <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> well, what do you want to know? I grew up in a household with two older brothers. Um, yeah. <laughs> the people listening literally know nothing about you. <laughs> well, everybody. Except lists, for Mark and Jameson. Shout out to Mark and Jameson. Everybody listening knows who I am. <laughs> That's not true. Okay. So I grew up with you guys, um, you and Colin, uh, grew up with dad and mom. Dad has been on the show several times. His name's Pops. 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 We all call him Pops. You call him Pops. Well, we all call him Pops. Okay. Um, what's your wife's name? I have a wife named Crystal. Actually, that's a funny story. We're coming up on two years. So in eighth grade, Uh I was with dad coming to pick you up from after some practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why, but we we're, you know, how dad like tried to talk to us about girls to, you know, all, oh. it was really awkward, but he <laughs> wanted to talk to us to let us know that it was normal for our bodies to be changing and to start noticing women. Uh huh. Great. And we started talking about marriage Uh huh. and I was in eighth grade and he told me that I was going to get married before you and Colin. Oh, well, you did. And he said, you'll get married first, and Colin will get married last. (laughs) And what do you know? That's exactly what happened. And not only is that exactly what happened, um, it was like pretty much instantaneous. Like, I Mm -hmm. got married right after you got engaged. Yeah, two weeks after we got engaged. And then you got married, and then what do you know? Colin. And now Colin's engaged. Yep. Yeah, we were all getting married. We're all getting married like within almost within two years of each other, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Speaking of dad talking to us about girls, and you know, I I know he's probably going to listen to this, so he maybe he'll get a kick out of this. Do you remember where you were the first time dad gave you the birds and the bees talk? Gone through two days. I <laughs> I almost passed out. <laughs> dad took me to Dairy Queen. Dairy I, Queen. <laughs> yeah, I was eating a blizzard. It was the Dairy Queen. It's actually not very far from here. And I'm pretty sure I was eating a blizzard and he starts talking about the birds and the bees and growing and changing. And I don't think I had Dairy Queen for 10 years after that talk. (laughs) It's like, thanks a lot, dad, for ruining blizzards for me. And that was, that was the first time that I ever, I don't know if Colin ever got the talk. He probably didn't. Colin, if you uh, are listening, thank you. But text me and uh, Dylan, let us know where you got the talk from pops. Um, yeah, and you guys got married the week the world shut down. Yeah. Yeah, literally the week the world shut down. Oh, that was the worst. So we had this huge wedding planned at the church that we grew up at uh, here in Lakewood, Colorado. And there was going to be about 200 people there. Uh, we had everything planned out. It was great. And then COVID hit and it was like, okay, we'll monitor this, see if we need to adjust anything. And... I think it was the Monday before the wedding. We were getting married on Saturday, March 21st. Monday before our wedding, um, the state uh, decided that you could not have any groups gatherings larger than 50 people. So the elder who was going to marry us um, said, okay, uh, you can host it at our place up to 50 people. So we did a YouTube video 
uh, and sent that link out to everybody on our guest list, disinviting everybody from our wedding. Yes. Letting them know that we we just can't host them because uh-huh. the state doesn't allow it. And then uh, Thursday, the governor said, nope, actually, no groups no more than 10 people. Yep. And the elder said, uh, I, I don't want to break the law, so we're going to have to change this again. So luckily travel was shut down at this point so no family came in that was going to and we were able to move it to my in-laws house mm-hmm. uh we had just immediate family and uh keaton had to be engaged so we we broke the law we broke the law we had 11 people how dare us um and then so basically we went from this wedding of 200 people and had to plan it two more times in the same week down and to 11 yeah, and Crystal is not a, br- she was not a bridezilla by any means, Mm-mm. but even this was getting, the stress was getting to her, because oh, yeah. <laughs> she just wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that and that was like when COVID was first around, and we were all like, we're going to die. We're all going to die. I thought for sure we were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so we, could, we closed the church down that week, mm-hmm. and... Chelsea was going to be coming up for your wedding. So I was like, I'll just fly down and drive up with you. So I went, I was, you know, I didn't really care. I went down on a Tuesday or I think I told, I told my boss, I'm going to take the day off. Like we're, we're closed down anyway. Didn't think it was a big deal. But the fact that I went to an airport, it was like, no, it's like, sorry, I have a mask. I promise. But what a time, what a time that was. Yeah. Um, so we spent our first basically, you know, Mar- marriage that's when um the you know f- was it 15 days to slow the spread or two weeks to slow the spread um so we spent our first year in the two weeks of slowing the spread <laughs> you're like yeah the 665 yeah. days or whatever it ended up being so i left work on friday um before the wedding and then didn't step back into the building for another like work for work for another six months yeah and that was weird yeah, it was that was a such a weird time to live through. Like, I've I look forward to reading about it in history books to see how they write about the year we all stayed at home, sort of. Like, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, other than rugby, what other interests do you have? Hmm. I'm kind of into everything, yeah, uh, yeah. but my top hobbies are uh, Lord of the Rings. I have a tattoo. <laughs> Um, Lord of the Rings. I like hiking, uh, being outdoors. I like reading. I like, you like medieval literature. Love medieval literature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, fantasy. Love fantasy. Mm-hmm. And you, more than anyone I know, can pull a random quote out of nowhere for any given situation. Like how? <laughs> oh, we'll be sitting at dinner and we'll have, we'll be talking about who knows what and you'll pull an office quote out of nowhere that perfectly fits the situation or you'll pull a quote from any given uh parks and rec for mm. any is out of nowhere you can pull a quote for anything yeah it's like a skill <laughs> those quotes come from awkward situations so <laughs> um how did how did you get crystal to fall in love with you was it, tell them tell them about when you were quoting lord of the rings at the table at the table <laughs> oh gosh okay um so yeah have you talked about the table i haven't talked about the table okay cool um so yeah there's this young adult ministry that keaton was a part of and 
called I was the table. called the table. I was there helping with uh, just volunteering to help run some of the stuff. And for some reason, they needed two people running slides, even though it was a one one person station uh-huh. and crystal was doing that because she had experience but they wanted me back there but i did i literally did nothing and brianne didn't tell me but as a part of her sermon was a clip from lord of the rings mm-hmm. and it was the speech that theoden gives right before he rides into battle mm-hmm. the charge of the rohirrim so it's like you know I'm going to start tearing up. I just want you to know. <laughs> no. It's, it's an epic most, speech. It's one of the most epic moments in, in the literature or in on the on the film. And they did it pretty much perfectly to the book. Um, the speech and everything. So that scene starts playing. So I step away from Crystal because I know that I'm, I got to walk around. And I quote the whole speech. Because you're emotionally moved. Yes, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm very weird. So the speech is going and I'm, you know, it's playing for everybody to watch and I'm in the back and I'm pacing and quoting the whole thing. And Crystal kept on like looking back to make sure that I was okay. (laughs) Cause she did like, I'm sure she knew that I liked Lord of the Rings, but I'm not sure she realized like to the effect Uh to what. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the love story started. I don't think so. I mean, that's where you get, you guys met at the table and then you so, hit it off later. Sure. Yeah. So that was about six months before. Well, that was just a few months before I moved to Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple months after that is when I slid into her DMs on Instagram. Hey, that's how I started talking to Chelsea. That's the way to do it. She like, well, because like I knew her from church, but she didn't want to talk to me. So I decided to message her and she thought I was pretending to be a Patriots fan because that's how I started the conversation. Well, you're not a Patriots fan. You're a Tom Brady fan. They're, that's the same thing. It's, not anymore. Well, we have faithfully watched the Patriots struggle for the last two years. So we are still Patriots fans. But that's, you know, it's okay to slide into the DMs if you know the person. If you don't, you're creepy. You have to know them in person. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, you're... you're also, weird. you have to know, you have to find a way to uh, have something to talk about. Yeah, the reason that I slid into her DMs is that she had po- took a video of a bunny near her apartment and posted that on her Instagram story. And when in Missouri, I was living on a ranch, ranch where we took care of bunnies, and I happened to see her story like at the same time that I was feeding the bunnies. Mm-hmm. So I responded to her and said, "It's so cute," and then sent her a video of one of our bunnies. Oh, we're probably giving bad advice to our young listeners. Yeah, that was, it just was really go, lame. Just go talk to her. You go up, strike a conversation for about five minutes, and then say, you want to have dinner with me? <laughs> yeah. And if she says no, that's all right. Walk away with your head held high. Or coffee. Coffee's a good pre-date. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, okay. So, Dylan, this podcast is called The Man I Want to Be. Um, and we, we're talking, you know, it comes from a conversation I had with Dad when I was feeling sorry for myself at 23. When he asked me, like, all right, son, what kind of man do you want to be? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And so the basis of this podcast is to talk about like, what kind of man do you want to be? And then how are you, what are you doing today to become that, that type of man? If I were to ask you, Dylan, what kind of man do you want to be? Do you kind of have a vision for the man you want to be or a general idea or anything like that? Hmm. Something that I believed 
for a long time is the thing about personal development is or self-development whatever you want to call it is that it's not an end goal it's more of a an ongoing process mm. and you've touched on this before yeah um if in fact if you have an end goal in mind for p- your personal development then you kind of miss the purpose of it to begin with mm-hmm. so that's why a and the reason that i like that is that it gives you grace for your struggle for when you fall on the way mm-hmm. yeah so um the vision for who i want to be um namely i want to be um consistent mm-hmm I think the consistency is a huge deal. Um, That can come about in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. I want to handle situations consistently. I want to have a consistency in my schedule. I want to, you know, lots of things there. Something else that comes to mind. um, Should have like fleshed this out to begin with. I wrote a few things down in Evernote a few years ago. I think I lost that. Mm -hmm. No, but um, some of the things was... uh, it was how they describe uh, an author described uh, Shackleton, the mm-hmm. the Antarctic uh, explorer. Um, Definitely a book worth reading. By the way, read yeah. about Shackleton. Endurance, yes, or Shackleton's Forgotten Men by yeah. Leonard Bickle. Mm. Um, he described him as someone with um, an unquenchable spirit. Mm. Mm. I like that. Yeah. So it's like, whatever you're doing, you can't get enough of it. Yeah. And then, un, um, I had a bunch of un words. Uh, Unquenchable spirit, um, un, uh, unrelenting character. Mm. Ooh, what is that? Um, incorruptible. Incorruptible character. (laughs) Yes. You want it. So you want, you want good character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how are you? How are you? How are you developing your character? Well, it's a it's a process. I, yeah, I was just. I feel like you can't just decide. I'm going to be a person. Like character is built mm-hmm. year after years and years and years of consistent consistency mm-hmm. um, in what you believe, your values um, that are aligned with reality and what's true. Right. Yeah. So you're right. It is a process. So what, what steps are you doing to, or what do you have like rules for life that are like helping you? Hmm. Um, I don't know about rules for life, but something that I, uh, have been doing recently is anytime I come across a situation where I'm questioning whether to take the right path or the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a ring. I'm not wearing it today cause I came from the gym, but I, I have a, a ring that's made out of Damascus steel and it stands for, uh, have courage, um, mm. for courage yeah. to chew or choose courage, yeah. if you will, strength. Yeah. Um, and that's, now that came about in a lot of different ways. It serves, it's, it's what I call my token. Mm-hmm. My a token is something that you carry with you that reminds you, um, of your past trauma, maybe your past struggles. It can be an, an issue with anxiety, depression, a relationship, anything like that. You have a token that when you, when those feelings start to arise again, you you can pull it out of your pocket and remind yourself um, what you the choice to make, basically. Mm-hmm. So this mostly mostly comes up in my work. Um, uh-huh. Unfortunately, I ha- sometimes I have to have tough conversations where. Um, I have to confront customers when I know that they're lying to me. <laughs> Yay. And, yeah. So, and 
sometimes I pause. I'm like, I could, technically I could say, you know what? I asked the question. This guy, this person lied to me. I did what I, you know, I did what I could do. Yeah. Or I could choose to push further. Yeah. And get the truth out. Yeah. In that, in those moments, I like to, you know, I'm working from home. I pause. I'll put put the phone on mute real quick, and I just I turn that ring to remind me to have courage as I ask mm. the next difficult question. Yeah. Well, and that brings up an, uh, an important point that I just I kind of just thought of because like a lot of times when we talk about character, think about character, it's the ability to do what's right or not to do what's wrong. Um, but there's more to it than just the moral aspect right between right and wrong there's also the ability to do what needs to be done so courage Mm -hmm. um is a part of character bravery is a part of character um being able to being steadfast uh valiant those are all part of character that don't necessarily it's not which is not like don't tell a liar don't not you know Mm -hmm. often it, it takes courage yes and um to not to tell the truth a lot of times but there's different aspects of character that are not uh, necessarily just moral. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one that you've talked about a lot and I know that's important to you is integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually gave a talk to some high school kids about integrity. Um, what are your thoughts on integrity? It's integral. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play so, on words? Well, r- before we move on to integrity, I have to add that I, I also re- like to remind myself the quote from uh, Albus Dumbledore. Of course. The time must come for everyone to choose between what is easy and what is right. Mm. And that's the thing. Is that, Amen. Um, men of poor character just want the... They aren't that way because they don't... They aren't good people. They want... They choose their path because they want it to be easy. Yeah. And that's the thing about integrity is that it often means doing the hard thing, having the tough conversation, yeah. letting people down. Yeah. Um, because, you know, most of the time, they, um, well, not most of the time, but it, it, like your podcast on letting people down in order to tell the truth was so good. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. Go, go to that. I'm sure I fleshed it out much better there than I could right now. Yeah, spot. Dylan also has a podcast um, um, called The Inquisitive Project, exploring interesting ideas to draw inspiration, correct? Finding inspiration in everyday things. In everyday things, yeah. So that, was mo- a, that was a really good episode. Most, mostly tangents. Um, yeah, tough conversations are essential. And yeah, e- the easy way out, it's kind of like sitting on the couch. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, like being passive, being passive. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so. this, the sin of man, man specifically of men mm. is pa- tends to be passivity, passivity. Right. Yeah. Which is something we need to talk about in the, it comes up in tale of three Kings. Um, yeah. What to do when someone throws a spear at you mm-hmm. and the lat in regards to integrity. Um, the last thing that David wanted to do was become a Saul. Yeah, when Absalom was attacking him. Yeah, Tale of Three Kings is a book by Gene Edwards that mm-hmm. it'll take you about forty-five minutes to read it if you can just sit down and and, and plug it out. And it is essential that um, everybody read that book. It's a must-read. So, Dylan, before you continue, I uh, Noah is joining us because she just woke up from her nap, and we had to hit pause on recording. Yep, <laughs> and 
So if you hear crying, heavy breathing, laughter, or any baby noises, that's because Noah is joining us for this podcast being recorded in our in our bedroom. Yep. Yeah. Not, and that means Keaton and Chelsea's bedroom, not me and Keaton's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have a bedroom. <laughs> Hi. Um, okay, so we were talking about Tale of Three Kings, yes. Gene Edwards. Yes. So yeah, you have to read uh, Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It, it's not a long read. It's very short, and there's so many nuggets of of information in there. It's a book that you have to read basically every year. Oh, um, it's so good. It, it is so good. Convicting. It's it's a punch in the face. <laughs> That's for real. No matter how many times you read it. Yeah. So I was thinking about this when I was reading the book is that in, in certain ways when David is dealing with Absalom or in some ways not dealing with Absalom, mm-hmm. right? He's being warned that Absalom is about to take over the city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to interpret David's actions as being passive. Mm-hmm. But that's not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He don't, you can't think of David's actions as passive. What he's doing is he is refusing to take the low road. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is, that's the key there mm-hmm. is that he's not just letting things happen, mm-hmm. but he will not succumb to, um, he won't allow himself to be corrupted yeah. in order to retain yeah. his kingdom. And you, you know, it's that, so that book is based on um, First and Second Samuel in the Bible, and in Second Samuel, you can actually see from when Absalom starts to like, when he he has his great conspiracy and he tries to take over the kingdom from the time that da- he David wins back the kingdom, which is an odd thing to do from your take from your own son. You can see David's wrestle with passivity, mm-hmm. um, especially when he has to become king again, and he's like he doesn't really want to. Um, you get to see his wrestle with it and who spoke into his life. It's, it's a really, really good story, um, especially if you can place yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hey, baby. Um, any other words on integrity? Oh, gosh. Um, it's okay if not. If you don't have integrity, then you don't have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Is that what Dad used to say? He Well, he told that to uh, one of the Whetstone staff. Yeah. I don't think he ever told me that when I was growing up. Yeah. In fact, I heard it from the Whetstone staff. When <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. So he, well, he had an interesting story. He, um, da- dad had told him that. And then he went to Lowe's to buy some like hardwood or uh-huh. hardware and some, some lumber and things. And when he got out to his truck, he, he, after his purchase, he thought that the bill seemed a little low. So he looked at the receipt and it turns out that the person, instead of scan- scanning all of his lumber, they scanned one piece. So mm. I don't know. He he had like ten pieces of two by fours or whatever, yeah. and the person scanned one. Yeah, and it it was the other person's mistake. Uh-huh. It is not his fault. Um, but he nevertheless went inside because he decided if you if I don't have integrity in this moment, yeah, I don't have nothing. Yeah. So he could have had free wood for whatever project he was working on, and said he decided to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a small thing. Right, yeah. but but that's what integrity. It's the small things that add up. Exactly, character, integrity. It's all. It's just habits. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and, and it's backed up in by Jesus when he says, "Whoever is faithful with the little will also be faithful yeah. with much." Yeah. Which is just it's a statement about reality. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So you said habits. One of the books that you're reading is called "Disciplines of a Godly Man." Mm-hmm. Um. 
disciplines, habits, they're essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dallas Willard, I talk about Dallas Willard all the time. He said, uh, the point is not to be good at the disciplines, but disciplines allow you to do what you cannot do by direct effort. Um, so you take the analogy of um, running a marathon. If you sit on the couch all the time and one day decide to run a marathon, you don't have the power to actually run a marathon. Um, but if you implement a habit of running, mm-hmm. eventually you will have the power to run a marathon. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like when I was playing football, um, we would squat and lift weights all of the time. Mm-hmm. Never once on the football field did I perform a back squat. But the discipline of squatting made my legs strong, which made it me able to be able to run fast and play football a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of disciplines. And you've got this book that you've been reading, mm-hmm. Disciplines of a Godly Man. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my group leaders, actually, at Young Adults, uh, started a group based around this book. Um, so what what is this book? What are the disciplines that highlighted? What have you learned from it? And how are you implementing them? That's a lot of questions. We'll start with one. What's this book? And what are the disciplines? So it was given to me by my grandfather-in-law. Um, and I, I get... dad? Crystal... Oh, er, Crystal's grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal's uh, paternal... No, maternal grandfather. Yeah. Um, anyway, he gave me this book. And I get so many books for... Christmas and my birthday, which are so close together, that that's because you put two things on your you put books and tea, <laughs> which I'm almost out of the tea already. <laughs> During Christmas, Chelsea was looking at the Christmas list and she's like, "What's up with your family's obsession with tea?" <laughs> I was like, "I don't know, babe. They drink coffee, not tea. I don't know." Well, I don't drink coffee anymore. But did you think that was funny, Noah? Yeah, she did, yeah. and now she's mad about it. Yeah. Put a cork in it. All right. Sorry to interrupt. So, yeah. So I finally got around to reading it and I was immediately like, holy cow. So this book is written by Reverend Kent Hughes. Uh, Reverend. Yeah. I believe it was originally written in the um, 90s, I believe. Mm -hmm. Do you know that's technically my title is Reverend? That's disappointing. (laughs) I don't know what that, I don't know what the difference between a reverend minister pastor. I don't know what any of that is, but that's technically my title cool <laughs> i don't think it matters that it, much no not at all so yeah he wrote this back in the 90s and i i think it's 21 habits i don't have it the book with me now because i'm letting dad borrow it pops borrow it um he's reading through it now mm-hmm. um 21 disciplines of a godly man mm-hmm. and so it, it lays out um the different disciplines and he breaks them up with like you know, the discipline of yourself, the discipline of worship, the discipline of community, you know, all these different categories. And, um, hey, sweetie, it's okay. <laughs> what do you want? She wants me. No. <laughs> you guys, listen to Noah. She's got some good things to say. <laughs> this is why I don't edit the podcast, because I, re- I want real life. That's fair. That's fair. I haven't edited a single episode. Whatever happens, happens. Hey, baby. Hey. Hey, do you need something to play with? Hey, how about this rag? Okay. And by the way, he, he's, he's offering for her to play with the rag, not to smother her with it, just so everyone yeah. is, is yeah, aware. Yeah, she likes cloths. This is, this is yeah. a... Sometimes we like to play. Oh, just sweetie. not today. I don't just know if she's going to let us record. Let's hit pause real quick.
So, we're and back. we're back. We're back. <laughs> Noah needed a bottle, and so she's uh, currently chugging a bottle. You might hear me burp her, but that's fine. Hey, fatherhood, it's the best thing ever. You just got to go with it. Ain't that right? Yep. All right, sorry. Continue. So, yeah, disciplines of a godly man. Uh-huh. Different, lots of different disciplines. And similar to Tale of Three Kings, this was kind of a punch in the face mm-hmm. for me. Um, it, it was, but it was more encouraging, I'd say, than cutting. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Was Which, there one in particular that was more of a, ooh, that I need, I'm failing here? Or <laughs> the, the, let's see, the, the self disciplines were, you know, the, the ones toward the disciplines that, you know, help yourself yeah. were, were very important, I think. And then there's, there's some community ones, um, specifically the, the church discipline, uh-huh. which you don't often see that as a discipline, Yeah. but the way he broke it down was interesting. And, um, I, I shared this quote with you, uh, at one point mm-hmm. is the issue with current day America's church program is kind of like it's the best analogy is like a hitchhiker and this is what the the author describes is that mm-hmm. um you know i'll hitch a ride with you yeah you pay for the gas the insurance the car repairs everything but if you get into an accident you're on your own and if i'm hurt i'll probably sue you mm-hmm. well same thing with the church right? i remember when you sent that to me yeah. yeah it's it's incredible to me so he says you know you do the work you do you set up the chairs you set up the events you you know, you get the lights turned on, you run the service, and if I don't like it, I'll complain and threaten to pull my tithe yeah. and leave. Yeah. And that one was like, you know, not for me personally, you know, I'm, I, Crystal and I, we tithe, we go to church, as long as we're not out of town, we're yeah. at church. But it made me realize that maybe I'm not doing enough to, A, volunteer to help yeah. staff run things you know they can't do everything um not that they're um incapable just that they're only they're just human beings <laughs> they yeah. can only do so much on a sunday yeah. morning but well, these... most people don't know how little staff run a church mm-hmm. like how many the church you guys go to has three staff people three full-time staff yeah. one part-time and yeah how many people attend the church Two, 200 three, maybe? 200 maybe. that's a lot of people for yeah. three people to try to do everything yep. and you have to like maintain the building and mm-hmm. and make sure everything like, like there's a lot that goes into running a church because yeah. it functions kind of like an event center at times and then mm-hmm. yeah yeah i work for a church so i'm a little biased but yeah yeah but so we, we go to church but maybe we don't volunteer maybe we don't you know offer to help yeah. regularly yeah there's some people who will volunteer for events but don't help out on sunday mornings yeah um, but then the other, the other thing is that when you vol- when you choose to volunteer, it changes your perspective mm-hmm. and other people see it. Yeah. And, um, I remember there's a, there's a story of, um, an individual who was, you know, they were going to church and what were, they weren't getting much out of it. Yeah. And they were, they, they were kind of the complainer, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, this, I'm, I think one day. I'm forgetting how the story goes, but they, they bring it up with their elder. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I don't like the way they, they do this and this and this, you know, which for for an example, right now I'm sure there's a, elders and church staff are hearing a lot about mask mandates, mm-hmm. the church shutting down. No matter what they do, there's 45% of people who hate it and 
percent of people who love it, yeah. right? No matter what, so they can't make the right decision. <laughs> I used to when we reopened, um, people were like, "How was doing church?" And I was like, "I'll tell you what, I didn't make a right decision for two years." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because and but with COVID policies, that's kind of how you know it kind of brought it to light. That's how yeah. they feel with everything. You know, sure. women in church, someone's going to be upset about it. Yeah. Um, not women in church, but women speaking in church. Yeah. Um, the, the, we recently painted, I'm sure there's complaints about that, you yeah. know, anyway, um, back to my story about this individual who was, um, you know, brought it up to their elder and they just said, Hey, um, tell you what, I will listen to you, but first you need to volunteer and do something during service. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And they, I think um, it was something small like um, making sure that after class was over, they reset up chairs for the lunch after church or something. Mm -hmm. And they did that for a couple weeks and immediately their attitude towards, towards the whole service just changed. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, you can't please everybody. Yeah. <laughs> No. everybody's going to complain. Yeah. And when you're the one doing the volunteering, when you're the one putting in the effort, you kind of realize how much is put on people. Yeah. Well, and church is like specifically church is an interesting organization because it's, it is deeply personal, mm -hmm. but it's also a service that's functioning. Mm -hmm. So you've got these weird tensions for people where you want, I hate to use the word product, but you're like, you're expecting a good product, but you also know like, this is more than like an exchange at Walmart, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I read a great book a few years ago called when the church was a family. Mm -hmm. I kind of explained that weird dichotomy people feel. And one of the things i took away from it is the more that people participate in the functions of the church, the happier they are with the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's when you're disconnected from participation that you become deeply unhappy with mm. your church and then with your your Christianity and your following of Jesus. That, that's that's primarily mm -hmm. where. And you know, it's, but you know, there's always going to be complaints. Jesus had plenty of complaints. I mean, what? Yeah, I mean, half yeah. half the people who followed him left at one point, and he's like, whatever. Is that, you know, um, yeah. Bye, Felicia. So more more from godly dis disciplines of a godly man. So the church one kind of got to you. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, well, you have the self ones where they're like, hey, you know, I need to be more disciplined about reading. I need mm. to be more disciplined about um, making time for God personally and within the marriage, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. Um, so, well, I, I got to stick with this church thing because that's a good analogy yeah. for everything. Yeah. So, the, the start of the church, you know, in Acts 2... Yep. They they were in their they met in homes and broke bread. Yep. And that to me see, church is a weird thing because we've you know, we've kind of corporatized it these days. But it's a group of people together who um basically the you know, in theory it works like this where mm -hmm. everybody just puts in ten percent of their monthly income to create a service that's where they you know, the body chooses someone to speak every every week and you worship together. And it's, so it's kind of weird because it's kind of like this social group who just decides to get together. Mm -hmm. But then who who decides who's in charge of what, right? Like, yeah. um, so, you know, we've kind of streamlined things. And 
having church staff kind of takes away the the need for um people to be involved if, if that makes sense they just mm-hmm. kind of depend they expect it to be taken care of by oh someone else will do it sure right or they don't even realize how much goes on behind the scenes yeah all that being said if you look take that as a look into yourself um you can't take the same approach with your yeah. personal faith mm-hmm. and some of the things that I've, I'm not a parent, but some of the things that I've observed is men who have blamed the church for their children falling away from faith. Yeah. They change, they blame the church for their marriage falling apart. They blame the church for all sorts of things that they should have been. Hello, sweet. Guys. Her bottle's done. The bottle's done. <laughs> I know it's so hard. It's so hard. Every time the bottle's done, she starts to cry. And that was a big one. That was five and a half ounces. Mm. One tubby tubby. Yeah. Noah, apologize to Dylan in our audience for interrupting him. Yeah. Before you go to church, you're going to have to do better about that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they... And it's really easy to blame someone else for your lack of progression in, in oh, your faith, yeah. you know, and that that's where the discipline really comes in. Because at the end of the day, you are responsible for where you are with yeah. so many things. Yeah. And yeah. Personal responsibility. Imagine that. The lost idea of our generation. Of our generation or every generation? Uh well, I can't speak to every. I only live in one, mm. um, surrounded by many. But it seems to be the lost, um, the lost ideal and lost duty mm. of of at least my generation in our current era. At, at a rate I can't even, I can't hardly believe. Um, yeah, like personal responsibility is like super. And honestly, I could go on a rant about this, but like the first measure of personal responsibility is the health of your body. Cause it's the first thing you can actually take care of. Mm-hmm. And the more, the better healthcare has gotten, the le- less responsibility people have taken for their health. And it, I'm like, I don't understand. We have amazing healthcare for when things go bad. And then people, it like took people's resp- personal responsibility and it's bled into a lot of other things. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's good. Yeah. Churches. So Paul was the first person to institutionalize the church because it was growing so much. And, mm-hmm. um, the home church thing didn't last very long because there is too big. Mm-hmm. You have to institutionalize at some point, but sure. so you have to figure out how to work within those institutions. That's why small groups are so important and uh, little communities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very important that people realize the church is, um, it should be spirit led. Mm-hmm. It's a religious organization mm-hmm. and it's not a democracy. No. And I know that sometimes it's easy to make it seem like one. Yep. It, or at least that's like the perspective that a lot of maybe newcomers have or or if you you know think deeper about the church it's like why isn't it just a democracy or something, you know. Yeah. But it can't be. Yeah. Cuz there are certain rules they have to abide by. Yeah. The Congregationalists I think were the first people to try to set up a democratic church. The congregation would choose their own elders who would then choose their minister. Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if many churches are set up that way anymore. Um, 
There well, might be still still be some. But. Well, we still we nominate elders, and then we, yep. um, you know, they're affirmed. Yeah. Um, by majority, and then of yep. course the elder group, they don't choose the ministers. I guess, like with our last minister, we had a yeah. search party. Search yeah. Par- party. Search, search party. Search group. But then even like decisions, you need to trust leadership, which means you need to submit yourself to leadership, which is actually a very good thing to do. Even, well, yeah. Except for Tale of Three Kings. <laughs> How do you mean? Uh, the inspiration for Gene Edwards to write that book was to the individual who had been hurt by the authoritarian oh, church leadership. Yeah, authoritarian is very different than personal submission to leadership. Right. Correct. Yeah, you don't have to submit yourself to an authoritarian. <laughs> right. Especially a spiritual authoritarian. Yeah. But So we're going, we're talking about the two ends of the pendulum here. Yeah, yeah. But if you, if you do trust... Um, or choose to trust someone over you, it is good to submit to them. Mm-hmm. Um, submit meaning like, I'm going to allow you to have some say in my life. Not mm-hmm. y- Submit does not mean you get to tell me what to do all of the time. Unless you're talking to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. No. I, in the wedding ceremonies I do, I specifically put that in there. One as a joke to make sure that people know, like, no, you, your husband does not get to tell you what to do. The Bible says submit to your husband. It does say submit, but submit has to do more with the character of, of the women. submitter, not yeah. And there's mutual submission one verse before that. I will, I like, <laughs> I feel like we have to be protective of that. I don't know. Well, what? No, no, we got to talk about this a little bit because yeah. I've been thinking about this idea for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of submission in in the in is that that's Ephesians Ephesians five. Okay, it says wives submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. Now, what that does not say is husbands make sure your wives submit. No, it does not. Which is a very important distinction. Yep. Because in your life, we often have this idea that because we would do something for someone else, that they have mm-hmm. that they should should then also do that for you. Yeah. It's like this mutual or a forced obligation, if you will. Yeah. And that can end up hurting relationships so much. Yeah. Just because you would do something for someone else doesn't mean that they owe you anything yeah. ever. Yeah. And in fact, um, it's it's this funny, I, ironic thing where like it's like calling someone selfish for how they treat you. Yeah. It's like you stole the last piece of pizza when you know that I wanted it. Mm-hmm. You are so selfish <laughs> for not thinking of me, <laughs> right? And so it's funny, but that's like when you slapped Colin, or Colin hit you, and you said, "Don't retaliate," and then slapped him back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> see, it, it, and that's why selfishness is so hard to call out yeah. because you, if you call out someone for being selfish for the way they treat you, all yeah. that reveals is your own selfishness. Sure, and you. you that, and that's what, it's one of those things where you have to worry about your own selfishness yeah. and check yourself, not yeah. force it upon others. Yeah. And that's something very important that men have to understand mm-hmm. is that they need to, leading by example means that, um, like, I'm, I'm just trying to think of a good way to eloquently say this, but, um, can I give it a shot? Cause I, I put this in, I do several weddings a year and I put this in my wedding ceremonies. Mm-hmm. We go through the Ephesians. Um, when talking about the covenant of marriage in Ephesians five, Paul gives specific instructions to husbands and then specific instructions to wives. So the very first instruction is submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So 
both parties are supposed to submit to each other in one way. Mm-hmm. And then he gives instructions to husbands on how they submit to their wives, um, which means to, uh, and then wives how to do it. Why? And the wife is where he uses the word submit again. Um, is that funny? Um, so, and also gentlemen, I say this in my wedding ceremonies also, the instruction given to men is three times as long as what is given to wives. So they, each person has a role to play in a covenant, Mm -hmm. um, because a covenant is also between three people. It's not between two, it's between three, between God, man, and wife. Mm -hmm. Um, and God promises to sustain the marriage and then you guys have your roles. So the instruction given to husbands is to love your wives by cherishing her and nurturing her as you would cherish and nurture your own body. So how you would take, because men men tend to be more selfish than mm-hmm. women. So however a man would take care of himself is um, that amount of effort mm-hmm. is what you are supposed to give towards your wife to, uh, to nourish and cherish her, to make her flourish, mm-hmm. to make sure she's loved. That's how you submit yourself to your wife because submission requires denial of yourself. Mm-hmm. So the effort I put into loving my own body, my own self, I'm going to put that towards my wife to make sure that she's nourished. Yeah. And then for women, it says um, that uh, see that the woman respects her husband. That's how she submits to her husband is by respecting him. And so when I do my wedding ceremony, um, I'll say now why uh, whoever the bride is, your role in the covenant is to submit to your husband that doesn't mean you he, you do everything he tells you to do. But what it does mean is that you respect him in public and in private. That you do not nag him. You don't um, you don't talk negatively about him. But you show mm-hmm. him utmost respect because of the burden he's carrying uh, for responsibility for your family. That's what it means to respect your husband and to submit to him. Yeah. Um, and that, that traces, both of those trace back to... Um, uh, either Genesis 2 or Genesis 3, I don't remember which one it is, um, where God talks about the dynamic between men and women and the differences that they will have because of the fall of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are very, very different people. Mm-hmm. And we each have to deny ourselves in order to... I mean, come on. It's hard for for women to respect men. I don't blame you. There's a lot to be like, ah, I don't respect you. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's going to be like how you die to yourself. Um, yeah, that... So I that's I I love that passage. I think it's beautiful if it's properly applied. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely been misabused. Noah also. I don't know if you can hear her talking. You probably can. She also thinks it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's like, why she's. But here. to your point, no, I can't make Chelsea submit to me. Mm-hmm. I nor should I try. Yeah. But what I can. Well, that's do, not your job. No, that's not my job. My job is to cherish and to nourish her and to make sure she's loved. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. that she's flourishing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's her, that's my job. I I can only do my job, yeah. um, which is why you need community to help you know speak into. Like if if I'm not doing my job for Chels, mm-hmm. and she tells t- where to tell me that, there'd probably be a rebel spirit that I'd have. But if like you told me, or Dad told me, or other friends told me, I would feel a very different conviction. Like ah, oh, I'm failing here. You know. Um, do you have anything to add? Sorry, I took over. Uh, no. Um... All right, Noah has a word. Say it, Noah. Oh, sure, you're talking over here, but you have nothing to say now. Good. <laughs> She's just looking at the microphone. She wants to play with it. Um. Yeah, it's kind of like that, you know, 
the story in Nehemiah. You're responsible mm. for building the wall in front of your house. Yeah. And yeah, that was part of a lot of what we worked on it with the boys when I worked at Whetstone. Yes. Hey, he did this to me. I don't yeah. care what he did to you. I care yeah. about how you reacted. Yeah. That is the only thing that you can control. Yeah. And when you come to face that reality that you can, you know, you are only responsible for the things that you can control, your life yeah. will be a lot less stressful. Yes, it will be. Because <laughs> you're so worried about others. And in regards to that, you're also not responsible for the emotions of others. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to remember when you're having tough conversations. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, cause I think it's good to be mindful of, you know. Mindful, but if. If, like, I can't call you a name and then be like, I'm not responsible for how you react. You know what I mean? Well, well not reactions, but um, how do I put this? Um, sometimes re- re- reality hits. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, you have to let people down. Yeah. Something like, you know, the best example is at work. If, um, you know, we've all dealt with the Karen, you know, the Karen <laughs> meme. So sometimes right. you have to um wow the the audio spike when you laughed was i apologize for that everybody <laughs> i can lower that if you want me to um so the the karen it wants to return something and it's outside of the policy you have yeah. to let them down and say no we're not going to return that right now yeah. and they might scream and yell and that that part is what you're not responsible right. for yes um so yeah there's this this is kind of having to do with it there's this awesome instagram account called the power of self-love and it's a parody account making fun of um people who are all obsessed with self-care and it like it at the core of it is narcissism it's so funny it'll be like you're not responsible for other people's emotions when you insult their their wives or something like that (laughs) or like it has all these um being around toxic people immediately gives you permission to be toxic towards them. <laughs> like it unfortunately it's an, it's an, does. <laughs> it's an amazing account. I love it. Um, but yeah, in that regard, yes, you are correct. But like all, all I wanted to say was like, you, you have, you also need to be mindful of, of people when you're talking to them. Like that's a generous yeah. thing to do. Um, you have to be considerate, right? Yeah. Like but. if I, if you were being a terrible husband and I walked up to him and I was like, Dylan, you suck. You're a terrible man. That'd be like, not a good approach. Mm-hmm. That'd put you on the defensive and you'd be like, Rah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So let's go back to self-responsibility. Yeah. Um, you asked me at the very beginning what kind of man I want to be. Yeah. And I'm going to go um, um, I have this idea mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's probably not historically accurate. But for some reason, I have this idea that, like, post-World War II, uh-huh. men in the church, um, I, I don't know why, but they they shaved with safety razors, mm-hmm. they wore khakis, mm-hmm. and they were the most personally responsible people to live, to live in the world. Mm. And I have this idea of, like I said, it's probably not historically accurate, but they, these, these men, this is what I strive towards, they manage their house well mm-hmm. so that they can when when people need it they are available to to help out friends in need mm-hmm. um they manage their finances well mm-hmm. so they are um so to prevent them from being the ones in need not that there's shame in that but yeah. they're good stewards right yeah um 
they they volunteer at the church they're involved they are um th- these men they just embody what it is to be a man sure yeah <laughs> and that that's what i'm striving towards and yeah. kind of what i see is like um brett mckay is that his name the oh Art, from art of manliness yes yes i, was like, I feel like this, yeah i feel like okay. this is what he embraces yeah in a lot of ways yeah. um is the these men who just they yeah i'm like i said it's not historically accurate but it's still an, an ideal in my mind that i think is good yeah. to follow yeah maybe not broadly historically accurate uh good men are have actually been rare throughout history um but the ones that do are the ones that are worth talking about and they stand out yeah and they stand out uh Absolutely, they stand out. Um, my working definition of manhood, like if I were to ask, if someone were to ask me, hey, so how would you even describe what it means to be a man? I would say manhood is responsibility. Hmm. Like for me, that kind of encompasses all that it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for the for your family. You have like, you can your um, your health, your finances, your work, your work ethic, your workability, your growth. Manhood at its core is responsibility. Hmm. Um, and often, too often it's shirked, you know, like hmm. shirking of responsibility is passivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, that's my working definition. It's not fully complete because um, I haven't given as much thought to it as I'd like. Um, but well, maybe one day I'll do an episode on it. Well, we, we could talk about a little bit about it now. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier t- rules for life. Yep. And... I just thought about the two rules that I always gave to the boys at Whetstone. Yeah. And they came actually from, you went to Camp Champion. I sure did. Did they give you the rules talk when you, your first night there? I mean, probably, but I was 13 and there were cute girls and unlimited Dr. Pepper. Sure. So the first night that we got there, they shoved us into this giant room and this guy gave us like a military style briefing about how how you were to behave that week all right and he said i only have two rules but because you guys can't follow those i have to have all these guidelines uh-huh. to further break down what it means yeah and his two rules were be a man and um respect like ron swanson's boy scout manual <laughs> be, be a man be yeah. a man so then he had all because of, we can't follow those he has all these guidelines lights out at this time you yeah know, all, all these things but he broke the two rules for be a man and respect. Well, yeah. be a man was really responsibility. Yeah. Um, because he said, oh, his first rule was respect. Be considerate. Be respect to yourself. Respect others. Yeah. Um, if you can do that, then, you know, you're, you're that's off to a good start. If you're going to yeah. be respectful, you won't damage property. You won't, um, you yeah. won't try to sneak out at night. Yeah. You won't try to flirt with um or not necessarily flirt with girls but like you won't try to do anything inappropriate flirt with 30 girls yeah yeah so if you can follow that first rule you're in pretty good hands the second rule is uh responsibility which means that mistakes happen and -hmm. when they do happen you be a man and man up to it yeah and just say hey i made this mistake i'm sorry and but oftentimes we are disrespectful it leads to a place where we could either own up to it or try to hide it blame shift <laughs> that's a whole nother thing yeah. but yes and in life hiding it is always turned out to be the worst yeah. thing to do yeah um so the two rules for life mm-hmm. be a man 
Yeah. Take responsibility and yeah. have respect. Yeah. Mm, those are good. Yeah. Um, and those stuck with me since I was going into seventh grade, the summer yeah. before my seventh grade. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, those so. are those are good rules. Um, I haven't gotten to the part of my um, little my personal vision where I talk about like what I value and my values. What's the difference between those, and then what my rules for life are. Um, but I do have, I have the mine are because I put the manhood is responsibility in a different area on, mm-hmm. on my little thing. Um, and then my rules for life are like things that like, these are like, you need to do these things. So mm-hmm. like one of them is don't go to bed angry. That's a rule of life that I have. Don't just don't go to bed angry. I don't know how you can. I don't. Yeah. You're not going to go to bed. You're going to stay up Yep. and you're going to play through scenarios in your mind. Um, make sure you've communicated clear, clearly is another rule that I have. Um, be present. That's actually the hardest one to follow because I have an iPhone. Um, but being present is one of my rules for life. I tell say myself all the time, I'll be holding Noah and scrolling on my phone. I'm like, hey, be present. And I'll put my phone down. Hmm. Um, and they're like guiding principles that help me become the man I want to be. Hmm. Um, Sabbath and, is one of our rules for life. Hmm. Um, Sabbath is amazing. And uh, as you have more kids and... Um, I'm pushing the, for five. The being present is going to be oh yeah the most difficult, yeah. as you already said, but it'll be even more important. Oh, yeah. Like, she probably has no idea if I'm not being present, mm-hmm. but if I don't start generating that habit now or that discipline now, when yep. she can tell, then she's going to be like, well, Dad grew up with a phone in front of his face yep, or a book in front of his face or mm-hmm. he just wasn't there. Which is, um, <laughs> it might seem way different, but... Um, it's saying dad grew up with a phone in front of his face is no different than dad grew up with a bottle in his hand. Yeah. It's um, not, not really. It's not different. It may seem different, but yeah. the, the effects on, on a child or, um, as they grow yeah. up, the, their, their attachment issues mm-hmm. become very similar. Yeah. So, yeah, it does. Um, well, yeah. So anyway, like I think of mom and dad with, with the be present thing. Yeah. They were at every sporting event. Every single one. We talked. Me and Dad talked about that during his interview. Like mm-hmm. this was the best thing that you guys did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was hard because they would have to. We we would have baseball tournaments on the mm-hmm. same day, and mm-hmm. they would have to split between us yeah. somehow. They managed to do it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he was which a mean- scoutmaster and a coach. Yeah. So yeah. he was cool and a dweeb at the same time. Yeah. Kidding. I wish I had the skills of a scout. Yeah, Noah. Being able to throw a fastball hasn't helped me at all. But, so I called Dylan or Colin to help. Since they have all the real skills. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, being present is uh, huge. And it I is think huge. that the, my vision of this like man from the 50s, I feel like that was like one of the key things yeah. that they, you know, they were at everything. Yeah. So. We would have to ask Dad um, if that was true culturally. Um because the 50s tend to get idealized for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But then there was also the um, revolt against whatever the 50s were uh, in the hippie movement in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to ask Dad since he grew up in that time. Yeah. Well, the I remember learning about that decade in the from a, in a sociology class, uh-huh. um, which was basically, as a, as a nation, we came back having kicked butt in World War II. Yeah. All the men returned. And basically it was... 
America is the greatest superpower from a military standpoint. Yeah. And our beliefs, our foundations are correct, morally correct. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, hey, we are on the right side of history. Yeah. And so we're going to, everything that we do is correct. Yeah. And it became authoritarian in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that's why the 60s revolt was so strong. Yeah. Yeah. American history is a fun thing to study if you're willing to look at it for what it is. And how great it is and how, how like, I mean, everything in history has its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to focus on one or the other. Just be like, huh. Mm-hmm. Be a third-party observer. Uh, yeah, we, we ended up as the world power on accident. Because everybody else destroyed themselves. Yeah, we were the latecomers. <laughs> we were, yeah. We showed up at the end of the party and declared ourselves the winners. Not to dis... I don't want to discount World War Two because World War Two is an amazing feat in... Uh, humanitarian effort um but we were latecomers and everyone else had destroyed themselves yep we played an important role no doubt um mm-hmm. for a very tragic time in history but um you like to study american history uh probably should study it more i, I love english and british history yeah. i don't know yeah. why well so in, in my classes one of the things we we're having to study so um is the what we have to study a lot of christian history in theory mm-hmm. you because you can't you really cannot study western civilization without simultaneously studying church history because it had the most profound effect on how people viewed the world only for 2000 years though only for 2000 <laughs> years yeah well when people say western civilization typically they mean from beginning with the greeks through prim- but primarily through rome and then the rise of christianity <laughs> and the expansion westward from the from the Middle East where most things were. Um, um, well, have you have you? Dad, read... you're quit being a nerd. That's what she's saying. Have you read Ben Shapiro's Right Side of History? No, I haven't read that one, but I've so, I've read some other um, like a Patriots History of the United States. Which okay, real good. So in Right Side of History, he starts with Jerusalem, and uh, yeah. he starts have he talks about how the West was formed by two cities, Jerusalem and Athens. Yeah. which is what you just said. Yes. Um, and then he you know, talks about the religious aspect and the philosophy aspect mm-hmm. from Jerusalem and um, Athens, respectively. Yep. And how this is, these are the principles that formed everything about our culture yes. that, that we know of. Yes. And that the values that we have in our culture today did not arise in a vacuum. It's not like they no. came out of nowhere and we right. just decided that, hey, we're this is what we stand on for yep. no reason. You know, yep. the, these foundations have been tested for thousands of years yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah every it's funny the the morality that we take for granted is inherently judeo-christian um and that like it it just is care like the the widening gap between rich and poor is a uniquely christian idea um that that if you have means you should help those who are poor Mm -hmm. um and not necessarily through programs or you know throwing money at them but in doing whatever you can Mm -hmm. um with one person who's close to you Uh, that's a uniquely christian idea it's in james it's in john it's in the gospels um it's in deuteronomy like you know Mm -hmm. um but so in our classes we have to we had to study um european history worldviews from the 1500s on so we had to look at um like why was john locke and Thomas Hobbes, how were they influenced by um, 
in their governmental thinking before that. So with the Magna Carta and what year was that? Like 12, 1215. Yeah. 1215. How would that influence them and, and their view of um, natural law and that kind of thing. We had to study all that European history mm-hmm. and it's amazing how much of that is, was present in the founding of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's like fun to fun, been fun to study. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, and my professors are not shy about the pitfalls and, um, the idealism that, that just didn't work out, but they're also really convicted about like, Hey, this, this country started off with a brilliant idea for liberty for people with how they set up government. And it mm-hmm. like, it, it's just, it's fun, fun to read. Mm. Um, I, I've really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Yeah. I could talk for hours. My favorite though, is when we had, we had to study, um, Karl Marx. Oof, that guy. I'll tell you. Tell me. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we're at an hour and nine minutes, so I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. Oh, we're fine. Marx, like a lot of th- you think Marxism, you think, oh, communism. Not kind of, yeah. So Marx actually, he, I don't, without intending to, um, created a religion that people followed, like with full zeal. Uh, Lenin was the, his most um, prominent disciple. And he within Marxism, uh, there's actually a salvation narrative that explains the history of the world. This is why it's so appealing to people. Um, and part of part of the salvation timeline is you have your land aristocracy, you have feudalism, um, but then you move into capitalism. But capitalism inevitably inevitably gives way to socialism because of class warfare, and then socialism automatically breeds communism. Mm-hmm. And communism is where that is the ideal society. And so for Marx, you couldn't implement communism through human effort. It was just bound to happen mm-hmm. through revolution. Which is why he, yeah, the manifestation yeah. of communism. Is... Yeah. Um, well, Lenin, um, he, and then he had a whole bunch of other, he was, he hated Christianity. He really hated two things about the West. He hated Christianity and he hated capitalism. Um, but he accepted capitalism for what it was because it was part of his understanding of human history. It was just the preset pre- predecessor to socialism. Um, but he also hated Christianity. Mm. Lenin, like devout Marxist, was mm-hmm. like, no, we can implement this if we intentionally cause revolutions. <laughs> um, but then there was another branch of Marxists called the Fabian Socialists which is more prominent in America is that it's trying to get Marx's ideas into the system through, um, Noah, Hey, 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 through democratic means, getting them into institutions and that kind of thing. Um, but what the fascinating thing was, is to learn was he's, he set up a religion on mm-hmm. and not on purpose. Um, he, he, cause he famously said at the end of his life, I don't know what I believe. Um, or I don't know what I am or something like that. But there's a book called Witness. It's the one I told you by a guy named mm-hmm. Whitaker Chamber. It's one of the best books I've ever read pre- because the author is an unbelievable writer and storyteller. Mm-hmm. But it's a memoir about his life in communism and how it brought meaning to his life because of the religious aspects of it. And the thing that got him out of communism was when he became Christian and discovered that Christianity had a better story than Marxism. Hmm. Um, that was, that's probably my, my favorite thing I've learned in my classes so far is just from reading it. And that interesting. Yeah. It's been, it's been awesome. 
Um, all right. Any last words for our listeners? Noah's getting restless over here. <laughs> oh, geez. Let me, let me think. Don't think too hard. Okay. You might, you might have an accident. Like Noah, <laughs> like Noah just did. I don't, did she? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Did you poop? Um, yeah. Personal responsibility, respect. Those are the, the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, take care of yourself. Um, yes. The Please world do. the world is full of people where life happened to them. They didn't they didn't um, take control of their life. You can see it in the you know the rates of mental illness. The depression anxiety levels are through the roof. Obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, people are not taking care of themselves, it's and true. we have a responsibility to take care of to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And it starts with mental to taking care of yourself mentally. Uh, and emotionally and physically as well. Um, they're all tied together. They are. Especially with your spiritual walk. Yep. And read. Read good books. Amen. Don't. Amen. And you should read just as much fiction as you do nonfiction. Amen. I learned that too late. Yeah. I'll say more about reading later. But Read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, Dylan, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Man I Want to Be podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.